Welcome back to the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Strength and Speed owner and Conquer the Gauntlet Pro, Evan Preparis. Got a guest with me on the line today, as usual. Before we get to him, though, a quick word from this episode's sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Compex. Compex makes those electrical muscle stimulators. You may have seen me using some of my Instagram stories or on my Instagram page or Facebook. And they came out with a wireless one, which is really good because then you don't have the, like all the wires hanging off. Um, my favorite use for it so far has been uh, back in 2018, early 2018, I had injured my foot, so I couldn't run for a little while. And I was actually, instead of getting up every morning to run, I was actually using the electrical muscle stimulator to keep my legs in uh, good running shape, even though I wasn't able to run. And then they also have the Compex Fix, the uh, massage gun that they came out with. And I think they just actually released a bunch of new tips for it. So if you want you know, different massage settings, you can check that out. And it's on the uh, less expensive side compared to other ones. The uh, EMS device, the muscle stimulator ones, on, it's on the more expensive side. So if anyone looking for a good Christmas present for your athlete in your life, I think you can, you can hit them hit up one of those and that pretty much candles all your Christmas shopping in uh, in one single move. All right, let's bring on today's guest. Joining me again, I have Jared Renier. Jared is the owner of J-Ren Fitness. Um, he's a obstacle course racer also and also a strength athlete. And he's also a strength and conditioning coach, a contractor for the United States Army. So Jared, welcome back to the show. Good to be back. Yeah. So we, we got a couple of topics we want to talk about today. We're actually recording on Veterans Day, so this won't be released for a hot minute. Uh, but Jared is a veteran, so again, thank you for your service, Jared. Thank you. Also <laughs> <to> you. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we, we got three topics we want to talk about. One, uh, probably it was like, I don't know, it must have been like two years ago. You came over my house and you were doing a study, I believe for your master's, where we were talking about like the science of moving across a rig and, you know how the force is distributed and, you know, how long you're hanging from each hand when swinging, stuff like that. So we're going to talk through his paper on that. We're going to talk through altitude training. Specifically, I ran, I'm going to say part of World Toughest Mudder, the virtual World Toughest <laughs> Mudder at altitude uh, this past weekend. Did not go super well, but that's a, we'll get into that. So we're going to go over kind of the physiology of what's actually happening in your body. And then finally, because Veterans Day and we're both Army veterans, the army has finally switched their PT test after, I don't know, it's gotta be, we're, we gotta be over 20 years. We haven't changed. 40, 40, 40 years. Damn. Yeah. So I know about 20 years ago, they did adjust the standards so that it was the same test, but the standards shifted slightly. Um, but now it's a completely different test and we'll, we'll jump into that. So Jared, let, why don't you start off with the, the science of moving across a rig and kind of what you, what you, what you did when you came over my house and took yep. those pictures and video and what we learned. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it was two years ago. Uh, it was for, uh, like I said, for my master's program uh, in kinesiology class. And what we did was took kind of your body angles through moving through the rig um, from basically from the second ring to the third ring is really what, what we measured here just because after the first ring is a little bit different because you're starting from a fixed point. And then after anything after that, you know, that once you're in the middle, that's just going to be repeated itself. Um, but kind of took your body angle. And then also with you doing the two handed grip, we did the amount of time that you were on one hand versus two hands. And for you, basically, uh, when we were talking about it, you know, with, with your interest being in endurance and the longer 
you know, insane length races, how that extrapolates out over, you know, 12, 24 hours, things like that. So, yeah. And um, go yeah, ahead. Keep going. Yeah. What were the, what were the, what did we learn from it? You know, what were the takeaways from, um, and when he's saying the two handed grip, what I do is I move sideways across the rig typically. So I, every ring hold, I match hands. So both hands are gripping each ring before I move on to the next one versus uh, more of like a monkey swing where you're kind of hanging from one arm and you're, there's a lot of rotation. And I do that. So my, my left shoulder, I'd hurt it on uh, some military training. I think I might've like ripped something on the inside. I'm not hundred percent sure, but my left shoulder does not, I don't like hanging from my left hand, a uh, single arm. So I always do double handed and I find it not only has more control, but I can do it for longer in endurance obstacle course racing. And then on top of that, when the obstacle gets wet, you know, having two hands on it and uh, opposing grips, it creates uh, tension. So I, I feel like I just have a much better control and I'm much faster if I go that way. So, you know, what did we learn? Um, so basically from first ring or from second ring to the third ring took you at that time about 2.3 seconds and not about, we use this really cool program called Canovia. It's free. If you want to tape, if you want to videotape yourself and then uh, break it down, you can do timestamps and a whole bunch of stuff with it. Um, but took you 2.3 seconds from one ring to the other with that, that total amount, you were on one arm for 0.76 seconds. So less than one second is your amount of time out of that whole 2.3. And that is still split between both your right and your left arm. Once as you are letting go from that, from the second ring to the time you grab a hold of the third ring. And then also as you, I think on a couple of them, uh, you had to kind of regenerate your momentum a little bit. So you weren't just like swing, catch, swing, release, swing, release. Um, and then once you had released that second hand to the time that it grasped the, uh, that third ring as well. So that point, like I said, that 0.76 seconds is split between both arms on that one. So that's just under a third of the total time that you were on one arm. And then, you know, extrapolate that out to 24 hours. If you are someone who can do what I'd call like the, the monkey swing or the ape swing, like um, someone who does it really, really well is Jacob Stone. He's got those long arms. He can just sit there and hang and swing between rings and skip rings and stuff like that. Um, but that fatigue will build up. So you tend to kind of save your grip that way as well. And also one thing that we didn't talk about, but I was just thinking about when I was doing the paper um, was that you take someone that has longer limbs, you are putting a longer lever on that and the body, their torso and their legs and everything else are going to be further away from that fulcrum. So where that uh, ring is pivoting at the top, there's going to be a longer lever. So when they swing down to the bottom of that, you know, when they're at, you know, the very bottom of that swing before they start to swing back up, they're going to have more weight and force pushing down on their grip and creating more fatigue just because that's a longer lever. There's going to be a longer swing time because it's taking longer to complete that because as you and most other people who go through sideways tend to kind of be in that still lock off position or they aren't fully extending their arms. So you're on a shorter lever, not creating as much force or swing at the bottom. So like a good way to explain that is like, I guess just when you're at the bottom of a swing on the playground and you go up really high and then you kind of wait to the bottom, you feel a little bit heavier at the bottom as you do at the top or the front of the back, 
that's going to be that kind of same thing there. You just have a much longer lever that you're putting force through as well. Yeah, that's, that was really cool. And you know, the, it's cool to see science back up what kind of I have found out just through trial and error. It's, it's cool to see that. And then on top of that, you know, you mentioned 0.76 seconds. And like I said, I'm, I'm not good at hanging from uh, one arm. It, it, you know, it hurts my, my shoulder a little bit. And I couldn't believe how little I was hanging from one arm. You know, <laughs> when you actually do the timestamps, it was like 0.76. I mean, that's, that's nothing, right? Which explains why I can do that movement you know, and, and, and pass like an, like at world's toughest mudder when they have obstacles, with just rings, like I can go, you know, I had a hundred percent obstacle completion, uh, one year, though one of the years they had Kongs just cause, right. yeah. Cause that's what I was doing every, every lap. And it was, uh, <laughs> just no problem. Right. So, yeah. And the, the one part that makes it kind of nice is also with that is you are transitioning your hands when you are at, so both at, you're not, you're not letting go of both hands until you are near or at the top of that forward swing. And you're not letting go of that backhand until you're near or at the top of that backswing. So you're only like the amount of time that you are on one hand, you're also weighing the least amount, if that makes sense. Like your, your release and catch point is so close to the top, both front and back of your swing you're, you're never really having your full body weight or let alone full body weight plus the momentum of the swing down at the bottom on that one arm. You're like, cool, I'm really weightless here at the top. Let go, grab, swing, swing. I'm weightless again. Let Release, grab, and then you kind of start your next swing phase for, for the next uh, uh, hold. So, yeah, that, that, was a, that was fun to dissect. Yeah, that's, again, super cool, and I hope people are – mentally grasping uh what you mean by that i'm not sure how to explain it any better but <laughs> right yeah but it, it's like at the top of a swing you for a second you're not moving right you're not you're not falling you're not rising so you're right. yeah you're weightless kind of for a second and you're changing uh, directions of a sec- essentially yeah and that's that's where i'm transitioning uh, according yep. to your study yep. which again I, I i i don't realize that it's just it's just what inherently feels comfortable and i think that's just a result of practice right i, I just done it enough times where that that's what feels comfortable because that's, you know, through trial and error, that's inherently what's easiest for me. Yeah. Our so. brains are really good at finding out what's the easiest and getting really good at that. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Any final uh, thoughts on that study um, that we, we should share with people? I, I don't think so. Not without going way too more in into the weeds and getting super sciencey with it. Cool. So let's jump forward now to topic two. So we're talking altitude. So kind of, kind of a, bring everyone up to speed. Virtual uh, World Toughest Motor was a virtual event this year. So basically, you run five miles, you do some sort of obstacle uh, for virtual toughest motors. Their obstacles have been, I'm going to use the term, kind of nonsense. They're, they've been kind of like really weird stuff. Not always like physical events. Sometimes it's like balancing, and sometimes it's, you know, uh, just doing squats in the water and, you know, stacking up plastic cups, using chopsticks, all sorts of weird stuff. So I had to work uh, during World's Toughest Mudder like I do every year, but because it wasn't a live event, I did not ask for off. And I was like, I'll just run virtual World's Toughest Mudder from my hotel. Only problem was my hotel is in Colorado Springs. So we're at 6,000 feet uh, near the, uh, I'm actually right by National Strength and Conditioning Association, their headquarters. Like I'm, I'm literally like 
you know, less than a quarter mile from the building my hotel is, which is kind of fun. And the nice. Olympic training center. And uh, so plan was to do virtual toughs there. And, you know, I knew the altitude would affect me. Wasn't exactly sure how much it would affect me, but I started running and, you know, I, I view virtual events as, you know, more than training, but not the equivalent of a race, right? So, you know, this is the final event of the year. So my plan was to take it seriously and try my best. And I started running. I noticed my heart rate was a little bit higher than normal. And then uh, around mile 15, started feeling a little lightheaded. Feel, it was like kind of some dry sweats there, feeling a little dizzy. I was like, all right, you know, power through it. And then at mile, uh, you know, I started, actually took a couple of walk breaks uh, before mile 25, which I was like, well, that's, that's never happened before. That's weird. <laughs> whatever. And then I finished mile 25 and I started vomiting. And then, you know, it being a virtual event, I was like, you know, well, I pushed myself probably about 10 miles further than I would if it was a training run. And uh, I'm not going to push myself to the point if it was a real race, right? If it was a real race, I would have stopped vomiting, obviously, uh, cooled off, relaxed, and uh, gone back out there, you know, and, you know, even if I just had to walk for the next, you know, 20 hours or whatever it was left. And, uh, yeah, so that was the end of my virtual race and end of my season, kind of lame, not super. I mean, I'm not upset with it, but it was just like, it was just like a really lame ending to 2020, but I guess that's kind of like the theme for a lot of people. <laughs> so we wanted to, I wanted to one, I want Jared's going to explain us, you know, what's kind of going on with your body when you're at altitude and two, I'm going to share what I, you know, knowing what I know about altitude and knowing how I felt kind of what I thought was going on in my body in hindsight. So, you know, Jared, what happens when I take someone from sea level, stick them up at altitude and tell them to start exercising? Uh, they have a hard time, <laughs> <laughs> plain and simple. But um, yeah, like we all know, you know, the air is thinner up there. There's less oxygen, yada, yada. Um, there's actually not less oxygen. I was about to correct you. Good answer. Yeah, go. right. <laughs> so the con- like you're, like you're, like you're going to catch me on, the concentration of oxygen and everything that the air is made up of is the same. But what happens is because there is just less atmospheric pressure. That's why if you go to like the MLB team, if you go to the Rockies stadium, there are more home runs hit in that stadium than anywhere else in the league. Don't quote me on that, but I know like it's something close to there. Um, but because the air is thinner, there's less friction with the air, yada, yada. That also happens because there's less atmospheric pressure. So all of that air has a weight to it, so to speak. Similarly, is if like you go deeper down underwater, you feel more of that weight of the water pushing on you. That's, in a nutshell, an oversimplified, that's how your lungs work. More of that air or that pressure is pushing that oxygen and just that air into your lungs, pushing that oxygen into your blood. When you go up higher, you have less pressure. Your lungs are not absorbing that nearly as much because like I said, there's less pressure. You have to become acclimatized to that. Your body creates more alveoli, which are the little sacs in your lungs that absorb all that, all that oxygen. So um, that's why they like to say at least two weeks, you're not going to create the number of alveoli that you need, but your body is going to at least adapt a little bit to that um, smaller percentage of oxygen that it's absorbing, not that's actually in the air. And so then like you found out, because your body's not taking in as much as much oxygen, when you try to do the same amount of work, you're basically increasing your intensity. 
like you're almost working at a, you know, you go from what would be a normal for you, Evan, like a cardio paced jog. Now that's more like a, you trying to run like a 400 or, or an 800 pace. Now you're doing that for 15 miles and then you, and extrapolate that out. It gets exponentially worse the longer you go. It, even for someone who's in, you know, great shape and used to running forever. Yeah. So I started running and, you know, I started running for the event and I was like, you know, it feels, it feels pretty normal. But when I looked back at my heart rate data, my heart rate was so high, right? Mm-hmm. One of the laps, so my, one of the laps I said, like I'm, I'm running a 10 minute mile pace, 10 minute per mile pace. And my heart rate was at 160, which is a little bit higher than normal. But mm-hmm. it also, like its highest reading during that five mile segment was 190. My heart rate doesn't even, I've never even seen my heart rate that high. <laughs> I, I've, I've never seen it. I've, I've, I've never, you know, like I think my highest I've ever seen on my watch is like 185. And that was like right. running up the mountain in Blue Mountain, Canada, right? Mm-hmm. And the course I'm on is 131 feet of elevation gain, which is <laughs> flat, right? Right. Um, so, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, the way I'm understanding, right? So I'm breathing in and I'm getting less oxygen. Because I'm getting less oxygen, um, my heart rate is going to increase because it's, it's trying to get more, more oxygen into the blood. Um, and I think also because I'm, I'm getting less oxygen, you know, instead of my muscles using primarily aerobic uh, mechanisms to generate energy, you know, I think I was using anaerobic energy too, which is why my legs started hurting sooner than they normally do, like significantly yes. sooner. Yep. Yeah. Because just to, for those people out there who are familiar with heart rate training, you know, those zones are a thing. And as soon as you pass into those higher zones, like even if you are trained, like Evan, like you'd find like that, that 160 average, if you're used to like, what do you normally run at? Like 145, 150 ish lower. Yeah. Like one low one fifties. Low one fifties. So yeah, so you're, you're automatically, so if you're at low one fifties, let's call it 150 for easy math. If you, let's say you were up at 165 for part of that and you just kind of average that 160, that's automatically 10% higher just working at that 10 minute pace than you would have been normally. So, um, yeah, like just there, you're on, like I said, or like you said, you, your heart rate is like no longer in that aerobic zone and more of that anaerobic or glycolytic, um, work is happening, buildup of lactate in the muscle. And like I said, the muscles are working harder because they don't have oxygen or because they're not getting as much, as much oxygen pumped in there. Heart is having to work harder because again, like you said, the blood is not absorbing the oxygen. Therefore the muscles aren't getting it. And it's just this cascading effect. Yeah. So normally when I, you know, when I'm running these ultra OCRs, these long ones, right, I'm in like zone two and zone three, uh, for Mm -hmm. those of you who know heart rate zones, my watch was showing four for like almost, and I didn't realize that at the time. It was after I stopped and I finished vomiting. I looked back and actually looked at my heart rate zones and I was like, oh my goodness. You know, my heart rate looked like I was running uh, the Army 10 miler, which is like, when I run the Army 10 miler, I go like all out and I run uh, like six minute miles for 10 miles. And right. that's what it looked like. And, I'm, and I was doing like eight thirties and, you know, nine minute miles uh, as part of World's Toughest Mudder, uh, virtual World's Toughest. So. You know, I'd say the other thing was it felt like because, you know, my muscles are working so much harder, it felt like um, the liquid calories I was drinking, right? I was drinking heat and perpetuum. It felt like that was just sitting in my stomach. Like my body wasn't oh, yeah. 
absorbing that liquid. And it was just right. like, because all the blood felt like it was going to the muscles. Mm-hmm. And I think that was also one of the, the causes that maybe, you know, I, I kept putting liquid in because I'm drinking and I'm thirsty and I'm sweating and the, the air is dry. So I'm, my sweat's evaporating. And uh, it just felt like I had a big gut bomb of liquid in my stomach. And then I, <laughs> I started throwing up. So, yeah. And that's, an, that's another thing that, like I said, you, when you're able to stay at that lower heart rate for you normally isn't a big deal because liquid that's, as you have your fueling down pat now. Yeah. But, I, I've never thrown up during a race ever. Right. Liquid much easier to digest than hard food or than solid food. But again, like when you're, when you're working out at lower intensities, what it, what happens is what we call a blood battle. Like if you eat and work out or eat right before working out, your body wants to do two things. It wants to supply blood for blood and oxygen for the working muscles during the exercise but it also wants to digest that food and get it in and out or in and process through the gut to also just to do its job. Um, so, and you're working at the lower levels, not that big of a deal because you're not taxing that system of fueling the muscles nearly as much. But as you found out, heart rate increases, it's having to pump more blood to the muscles, less of that blood goes to the gut and the body makes the command decision to be like, all right, one of you has got to go. I can't ditch quads or hamstring right now. So <laughs> out goes the perpetuum. Yeah. So, and it, you know, the ease of digestion is why I recommend using liquid fuel for uh, all ultra OCRs. And that's why, you know, Muttering Guides, my book, Muttering Guides, Ultra OCR Bible. That's why I push for, push for liquid fuels, that ease of digestion. And normally it works fine. Just the, uh, I'll be, I, I was really surprised at um, the altitude, how much it affected me. I was legitimately not, I mean, I was expecting to run slower and I was expecting it to be a little bit harder, but I just didn't, I was just, I was a little bit shocked by it. Yeah. Yeah. When, when I saw your post, I was, I was also surprised by that. I, I expected you to about the same way. I didn't know you're over there, but once you said that, you know, on your post, you're running in uh, Colorado, I was like, okay, he should like, it'll going to be slower, but. Yeah. Nothing horrible, but <laughs> apparently it was. Yeah. You know, and, and like I said, I, I don't view virtual races as real races. So I would, I didn't push myself to the point where I would normally push myself during a race, right? Like right. in a real race, I'm going until I'm going past the point I bomb it. I'm going to go until it, it like I, I physically can't move anymore. And, uh, right. you know, with virtual world's toughest, I essentially, the area I'm running in, I had to cross several streets that were fairly busy. So I wasn't really looking forward to that at night. And then the area I was running in, um, you know, I, I basically would run out about 1.7 mile, 1.75 miles. And then I, that, there was like a trail. And if I took a right on the trail, it kind of waved, uh, went through like a park. If I took a left, I went through, I went past about eight different homeless camps. Oh, nice. So, um, and there was some, during the day, there was, there was uh, some homeless people on my route. And I was, I was a little concerned. I was legitimately a little concerned because, you know, you run past a homeless person, fine. But if I'm running past a homeless person every hour on the hour for 24 hours and, you know, I progressively look worse and worse, you know, like all it takes <laughs> is one guy to be like, you know what? I'm going to take that guy's phone. He looks like, he looks like dog crap, you know? And right. uh, so I was kind of a little concerned about that. Um, so that also played into my decision. And uh, yeah. But um, for those of you who were following, Matt Hansen, we've had on the podcast before, a uh, good friend, 
He won uh, Toughest Mudder Midwest last year. He won, got 110 miles. So I was super excited about that because he is um, – I, I joke that he, he always comes up just shy of 100 miles at World's Toughest. He, I think he's got 95, I think, three times or something. And he's been in the top five, uh, I think, three times. So I was, I was really excited to see him win. And, uh, you know, I like, I like seeing obstacle course racers win, even though this is – that was a primarily a running event, and I was – uh, I was kind of expecting some r- random runner to show up and just kind of blow the doors off because uh, they can run forever and they don't have to do much upper body. So, yeah, looking forward to getting back out to actual World's Toughest Mudder next year. Uh, supposed to be in Laughlin, Nevada. So it's about an hour and a half south of Las Vegas. Um, could be really warm. So uh, we can start the hashtag no wetsuits needed again <laughs> until, until a sandstorm comes through and uh, ruins everyone's dreams there. But yeah, it should be interesting. It's like right in the corner, like right at the tip of Nevada. So it's like almost in Arizona. So yeah, we'll see. All right, let's, I think that's about, oh, the, the other thing I wanted, the other thing for World's Toughest, I actually, my daughter was actually sick on the Monday before or Sunday before. So she was throwing up. Um, and I think I had whatever she had. Uh, I didn't throw up on Monday, but I was like, I had like night sweats and I was, uh, I thought it was the altitude, but I think in hindsight, I think it was, like a stomach virus that, um, but I think that passed beforehand. I think that passed my body through my body. So I won't give you the details of that, but (laughs) (laughs) I I just feel, I feel fairly confident that left my system. That's good. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's jump into last part of the podcast. So, um, like I said, Jared, you're a contractor, uh, strength and conditioning coach for the United States army. So tell us what the army PT test was, has, has been for the last 40 years first. So, yeah, last 40 years, you had the Army, let's see, ACFT, or no, I'm, no, I'm getting APFT. APFT. Yep, yeah. APFT. I'm, I've already switched in my brain. So, Army physical fitness test. So, you had two minutes of push-ups, two minutes of sit-ups, and a two-mile run, which, going back, looking at it in the history of it, when it was adopted, adopted in the 80s, I want to say actually in 1980, um, but adopted in the and was at Army's just going um, co-ed at that point. So females are coming in, um, trying to find a good standard of what the, how to judge that. It's a peacetime Army as well. And lo and behold, jazzercise and aerobics are super popular in the fitness world at that time. So the army comes up with this really easy, really cheap, really fast way to um, measure their fitness with, like I said, push up, sit ups, run, not having to do a whole lot. And yeah, that just moves forward. And now that carried through up until, and they've been, there's been talks of changing the PT test since, since I've been tracking it in the early two thousands. Um, so they've had a number of different, um, so there's, there's a, an army newspaper called the army times and it is like the tabloid. It's like the army tabloids. <laughs> so they, they rotate through, you know, your new PT test, your new uniform, and they rotate between fitness uniform, dress uniform, and uh, camouflage uniform. And then your new rifle and your new handgun. Like they publish one of those as the cover page at least once a year, all, all those. <laughs> so the, the army, the army, the new army PC that has been coming, I mean, forever, right? As long as the army times has been pushing out that propaganda, 
uh, you know, we've been talking about it. So tell us um, the old PT test. So you, two minutes of push-ups, you had a 10-minute break uh, minimum. Two minutes of sit-ups, you had a 10-minute break minimum. And then two-mile run, end of the test. So yes. take us through what the new ACFT looks like. Army Combat Fitness Test? I don't even know what it stands yep. for. Yeah, ACFT, Back. Army Combat Fitness Test. So first event is a three-rep max deadlift. And um, one thing I do like about this is there's no longer male and female standards. The army is now open that anybody can do any job. So uh, women can come into combat arms, infantry, rangers, uh, all that fun stuff where they go get the bad guy. And so because of that, they're now being judged on the same standard. If you want to do the same job, you need to be able to do the same job and meet those same standards. So um, that's how it's all being graded across the board. And the way that it's working is different jobs based on their physicality have different standards. So you have a gold, silver, black. Why gold is the bottom, I don't know, but it is. Um, so gold standard is your lowest physicality. Silver standard is your medium physicality. And then black standard are your um, go get the bad guy type. Well, uh, well this, this is 2020, so we can't do low, medium, and high standard. We have to be kinder right. and gentler. So that's why we use colors. Go yeah, ahead. <laughs> exactly. Um, so like I said, deadlift is first. Then we have the sprint drag carry. I want to say that it, I might get the, these uh, mixed up in order. You also have the 10 minutes in between minimum, but there is much longer than that. Um, so deadlift into the sprint drag carry, which is effectively a 250 meter shuttle, 25 yards down, 25 yards back. You sprint down and back, make sure to touch the line. Then you uh, sprint drag, then you drag a 90 pound sled backwards so you're just backpedaling down backpedal back and then the one that's fun to watch is right after that especially because no one in the army does legs and you have a bunch of these like small little chicken leg guys uh that just burn their quads out on the drag then they have to side shuffle so basically like if you played basketball that just defensive slide sideways but since their quads are dead they can't hold themselves up so it's just like they just fall all over themselves for the first four or five steps until they like get a little bit of bearing back. Do that down and back. Then they pick up a, or actually two, uh, 40 pound kettlebells to simulate ammo cans, carry those down and back, have to set them down gently, just so basically so they don't fall over, because that's the rule. And then as soon as you set those down, sprint down and back again. Um, that is fun to watch because it just smokes people because everyone in the army runs long distance because they've been training, like I said, for 40 years to run two miles. And so when you have them actually like sprint for 250 meters, they don't like that. Then they go into the hand release pushups, which are uh, a little different. I guess they should technically be called a T pushup since they changed it, but they kept the name hand release. So start in the down position, chest on the ground, hands out, just like you're in a T then bring your hands in. They do have the funky uh, rule that you're in at least one finger. So the tip of your index finger has to be inside of your shoulder uh, capsule and, or at least in line with your shoulder. So you, if you are a little bit, you know, you don't have the shoulder mobility, you can't do those wide arm, wider arm push-ups like they've been used to. 
So push-up, count those for, that's a two-minute um, test there. And then they have, from there, they go into the leg tuck, which is hard to describe here, but basically holding on to a overhead bar. So about like you're going to do a pull-up, but instead of having both hands facing the same way, you have an opposing grip so that your shoulders are 90 degrees to the bar. And then instead of pulling yourself all the way up, you just have to, with as the rule states, with a noticeable but slight bend in the elbow, bring your knees up so that your elbow touches some part of your thigh. And um, yeah, so minimum standard for those is one. The highest passing, highest passing minimum standard is five, and then max on those is 20. Um, and then after that, they get to go run two miles again. And this is no joke, well, rumor, but tra uh, strength coaches and people kind of in the know where there's no real reason to run two miles. Like it's normally not something that, that happens in like training, things like that. We have vehicles. If we are, if we are moving for two miles, it's usually under load with a ruck. So we either people in my position before me had pushed for either like a, a longer ruck at the end of the test or just cutting down the test to a mile and a half. But literally the words that as the rumor goes, the reason that they couldn't cut it down to a mile and a half is because the air force has a mile and a half test and the army had to have a longer test in the air force. So yeah, I, that is the five category or the five event test they have now. Did we, did we do a medicine ball throw? Did I zone oh, out? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Power, the power throw. I, I apologize. I apologize. Yes. My after... favorite event. Sarcasm. Yes. Sarcasm. <laughs> You're so coordinated, though. I don't know what the – I don't know why you don't love that. So, yeah, after the deadlift and before the sprint drag carry is the uh, the med ball power throw. And, yes, you basically have a 10-pound medicine ball. You are facing one way, and you granny toss the med ball backwards over your head as far as you can. Okay. So is this a better test of fitness in your opinion than the old test, the new one? I, I'm going to very ask a couple of nuanced questions. So ask okay. the answer that one first. So fitness, just because I'm going to support the test, I say yes. Okay. It's measuring, it's measuring more than one thing. I agree. That, the, the, the previous test did a good job of testing endurance and for some people, they like to put a heavy, they'll, they'll weight endurance heavily when they measure fitness. But yeah, I imagine, I, I don't want to answer any of your next questions. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, overall, it is a better uh, measure of fitness. Yes. Agreed. I, you're, you're measuring more things. There's a lot more movements. Uh, I think it's a better overall test of fit, fitness. Now, next question. Is this a better test for the army? <sighs> And this is where I think people are going to be like, oh, uh, that's very nuanced. Yeah. So I guess it, it, de it depends on the, the way you want to look at it. I think it is because what is going to happen, and I've already seen it both in my job, we have a usually senior NCO. So um, for, I'm going to talk a little army, army ease, but E7 and above usually. So kind of that middle management and higher those guys have been running in the army for 15 plus years. They're really good at running. So most of them are smaller individuals. I shouldn't say smaller individuals, but 
when you ask them to pick up weight and then do stuff after that, they're not great at recovering, partly because they're a little bit older, partly because they don't, that's a brand new movement to them. And so they have to, here they are at 30 plus years old, some of them 40 plus years old. Now all of a sudden having to learn how to trap bar deadlift. Now they have to learn how to move explosively, even though it's only throwing 10 pounds, but they have to like, now they have to throw this implement back behind them. And they're part of the 80% of the army that never played sports. So moving multiple body segments at one time isn't super easy. And so there is this fear, in my opinion, unfounded because the easy, the gold standard, that low standard to pass is so low. It's really low. So low that no one should really be afraid of any part of this test. Um, but so I, I do think it is a good test for the army. Um, it will just take a, a couple cycles of turnover for it to catch on and people for it, for it to become the norm, so to speak. Gotcha. So here's where I'm going to disagree with you. <laughs> and I, I, I know we've talked about this before, so you knew this was yeah. coming. Right. The, the benefit of the old test was you could do it anywhere at any time, right? Like I don't need, I need zero equipment. If you're on a base in the middle of a rack, like if you have a treadmill or a, a compound that is big enough to physically run around, you can do the old PT test. The new one is very, very equipment intensive, right? I need a, I need a trap bar, uh, a hex bar de- uh, deadlift bar. I need weights. I need a medicine ball. I need a, this sled dragging implement. And uh, you mentioned med- uh, water cans or jerry cans. Uh, we mm-hmm. were using kettlebells uh, yep. where I work. Uh, you need a bar to do the leg tucks. And then on top of that, you need the two mile run and then you need tape measure, right? It's very equipment intensive. Yes. And for pushing through large numbers of people, uh, it is, it is not very efficient. It, it just, it, it takes longer. It takes more personnel grading. Um, so, you know, the army is not always about the best, uh, solution or for some of these things As a lot of times it's about, you know, a good enough solution for pushing through lots of people, right? That's why we have, you know, generic uh, health standards when you enter the army. And then, you know, sometimes you can get waivers for stuff, but there's kind of like a general rule of, you know, this is, this, this gets us like pretty close to the answer we're looking for. And then we'll worry about stuff on the other side. Um, right. So I'm not a huge fan of the test. I think it's, uh, it's very costly and equipment te- uh, and intensive and it, um, yeah, it takes a long time, but you know, that's, but I do think it's a better test of fitness. And um, the other thing I'm going to disagree with you on is the run. I think yep, obviously not for maybe not surprising. Right. But right. the, you know, people in, in Iraq, people would always be like, Hey, sir, why do I have to run two miles? If all I'm doing is, you know, when we get shot at, all I do is run 10 yards into, uh, you know, behind, and get behind a Humvee or get behind a wall. And then, you know, you know, run 10 yards into a house to raid it. Right. Right. The, 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 the one caveat I'll say there is prior to someone shooting at you, we've been walking around for two hours. Mm-hmm. So your ability to sprint is actually your endurance. And then at like a shot of adrenaline, um, when someone shoots at you. So I think that, you know, show me a guy that can run two mile fast, two miles fast that can't do a shuttle run fast. And I, I think there are plenty of guys who can do a shuttle run fast, but can't run two miles. I don't think there's many guys who can run two miles fast uh, that can't do a, a shuttle run fast. That's, that's where I'm at. Fair. But with that, so that's where we would almost prefer the ruck, like put people under load for time. Like you said, you've been walking and it's not just like, and as some people may know, some people may not like when you're walking around in 
you know, that foreign environment. It's not, you're not just walking around in, you know, your uniform and pants and boots and whatever, you know, wearing, you know, you've got body armor, you may or may not have a pack. You've got full combat load of ammo that that stuff isn't light. So yeah, you're, you're carrying 50 pounds. At, at least, yeah. At least. Right? Yeah. So I mean, that's what have, we would, we would prefer. Go ahead. Yeah, you, got, you got your helmet on, you got your weapon, you got optics on your weapon, you have your ammo, your radio, your night vision goggles. you you know, a lot of times you'll have water on you. Um, obviously the body armor has plates in it. And then you, you add all this and then you add clothing that's specifically not super breathable, right? Like I'm not wearing, I'm not wearing right. shorts and a t-shirt. I'm wearing, you know, it's 115 degrees and I'm wearing long sleeves, gloves, long pants and uh, helmet and eye protection. So the, just my mouth is exposed to cool, the cool air, which is not cool. <laughs> and um, yeah, so you're, it's, it's not easy to vent heat. Um, right. They, they used to, so the, the rumor was that the, like what our Iraqi counterparts told us was that the American soldiers were all on drugs or some sort of, you know, special drug that allowed them to walk around with all that weight and that heat because it, it shouldn't be possible. That's what they, that's what they used to tell us. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so that's why we would prefer, and we, in our programming for the, for the soldiers now implement a lot of rucking because one thing that modern modern younger soldiers are really good at is giving just enough effort to get by. So, um, and I say that they we're obviously still a good army, so don't take it the wrong way, anybody. But like NPT, because they haven't had a athletics background or they've just haven't been pushed as kids very much or as young adults they're once they find that pace. So a lot of soldiers, because they're not used to running or physical activity or training, their two mile pace is the same as their five mile pace, which isn't that much slower than a longer than five mile pace. Whereas if we tell them, all right, now we're going to go ruck under load. Now we can kind of, Oh, and if you're working up to the 12 mile standard, if you do that in under four hours, with 35 pounds on your back, it kind of forces a little bit of intensity out of them. And then we can also, you know, kind of bring that down. Like, Oh, you had to work hard with this. Now let's push the pace on some of our runs and get that conditioning in um, that way. So, but yeah, we, we would much rather see a longer ruck at the end of the test than a two mile or anything like that. Gotcha. Yeah. And that, that makes sense. Um, that makes sense. And on a side note, I've never heard that four hours. Every all every unit I've been in is three twelve miles, three hours, th- yeah. twelve miles under three hours, and usually fifty pounds dry. That's what, <laughs> what I'm usually told um, in the unit. That's the, there's your EIB. Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm. I guess that the thirty five and four is the is the conventional support stuff. Yeah, that is that is the just regular. I'm in the army. I have to go on a twelve mile ruck. Yeah, that is ah, the, interesting. Learn some. The, Learn something new every day. Yeah. And if anyone wants to try any of these physical fitness tests, uh, we'll we'll try to throw some links and some grading criteria. You know, the old one was age and gender based. uh, And then the new one is like we were saying is, is MOS there, your job based. And you can kind of see how you stack up against that. I'd say the only, if you're going to try to take the old one for fun, uh, the, you know, watch a couple of videos of what the proper standard looks like because you know, push-ups are very, you know, you're supposed to break the plane, right? Your upper arm is supposed to be parallel or below uh, to the ground and you're supposed to lock out at the top. So, you know, a lot of people, when they enter the army, they, 
their push-up form is terrible because they're not <laughs> going all the way up or all the way down. And the same thing with sit-ups, right? They don't go all the way up or all the way down. So running's yeah. pretty self-explanatory. But yeah, that's a quick that's a quick rundown. And um, yeah, we'll see. It's uh, it's still being phased in, and they're still kind of fine tweaking, tuning stuff. I, I took I taken one practice one. The medicine ball throw was awkward, and I don't believe it. If it simulates anything that you do in combat, um, Evan's general opinion is a bunch of personal trainers came up with a good test of fitness, and then bought stock in hex bars, medicine balls, and sled drags, and they are now they are now very wealthy. <laughs> the army bought so much of that equipment; it is insane. I mean, yeah. it's it's literally it's it's so insane. So. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I, I think, you know, OCR athletes will, if you want to give this, give this a test, it's a, it's a good workout and it's a good, um, good way to test your fitness. And then with it, with the new test, basically, you know, you can't use wrist straps or weight belts or anything like that. It's basically, right. it's basically a, as you are type stuff. Yeah. I, I do like some of the standards on the, for the grading of the deadlift where they, they make sure that and this one's obvious, but you know, your hips can't come above your shoulders for the movement, but also like, like as you're well aware, you know, like on squat and deadlift form, especially trap bar deadlift, if someone's knees kind of jump in and they're not activating their glutes and stuff like that, like that's a no rep that doesn't count. And they can be terminated from the event on that one. If they keep messing up so, or be sent to the back of the line to try again. So I do, I do like some of the standards they have put on the, the deadlift, especially. Yeah. And it's a good, I'm a big fan of deadlifts. I think I, it's like one of my favorite movements and it's, you know, I think if someone asked me if I could only do one strength exercise that, you know, what would it be? And it's, it's deadlifts, right? Cause you're, you're just engaging a lot of your body. And, yeah. um, now that it's the off season, you can, uh, I'm going to get back to deadlifting cause I usually don't deadlift much during the year cause it takes a lot out of my running. So good, uh, good power or good strength movement there. And yeah, excited to get back to deadlifting. Fun good. stuff. All right. Any final thoughts before we let you go? Um, I think we've covered most of it on a shameless self plug. JREN is open to athletes. So find me on Facebook, Instagram, and yeah, those are the only two. Gotcha. Yeah. JREN Fitness. You can find him on there. And uh, do you want to, let's do, let's do, uh, tell us something people would be surprised to know about you. You got anything, you got anything good? When I'm listening in the car, I always have the have them planned out, and I wasn't even oh, – you caught me off guard. Let's see. Something people may not know. I'm expecting first child any yeah. day. That is exciting. So we J- – Jared almost delayed the podcast because he's like, my wife might be in labor. Um, <laughs> but she's not yet. So no. by the time this airs, you'll probably have a little one. Probably. Um, <laughs> probably. That'll be super exciting. Have you watched the new Mandalorian yet? Let's go. Let's go down that route. If you haven't talked about that, yet. I have not watched the new Mandalorian. It, I watched the first se- season; it was amazing. It was. Uh, I need to start the second season. The one show I did start watching—I don't watch too much TV—was Cobra Kai. Have you seen that? I I know it's YouTube based, right? But I have not watched it. So it's now on Netflix. It is so good, right? Like it. There's so many throwbacks to the original Karate Kid. There's so many references. They do flashbacks. They do all these 80s jokes that I know younger kids are watching it and it's going right <laughs> over their head. You know, um, it's, it's really, really good. I, I can't get enough of it. Highly recommend Cobra Kai and the, 
they do a really good job of just kind of showing the other side of the story. Um, I don't know if you've seen that. You ever seen that YouTube video that tries to point out that Danny LaRusso, uh, Ralph Macchio is the bad guy and uh, yeah. Johnny Lawrence is the good guy. Yeah. So at one point they actually like go through that and then, you know, make sure you, you know, one season one, two is out on Netflix. Three is coming out. The end of season two has a fight scene that I would honestly put up against any other fight scene in, you know, hmm. popular media. Like it is, it's that good. And it's like one continuous unbroken shot where they're going from, you know, fight to fight and the camera's kind of swiveling around and they're fighting in the background. It was, oh, it's really, really good. All right. So since we mentioned Karate Kid, my favorite song growing up was, I don't even know the, the proper name, but uh, G- Glory of Love. You know what I'm talking about? Um, we did it all for, I'm not going to sing it. But oh, okay. Yeah, I think I think got it. Yeah. For the, yeah. Like a knight in shining armor from a long time ago. Yeah. Right. That was my favorite song growing up from the Karate Kid 2 soundtrack. Nice. So, um, and I was a couple years ago, was it back in, 2004, I guess that's more than a couple of years ago. Uh, I forgot a band, a band did a cover of it that was really good, and it went like it went, it went popular again. But nice, yeah. yeah. On that, like, so actual thing people may not know or unexpected. On that same line, as a little kid, my favorite song was "Danger Zone" from Top Gun. Like, loved that song. Good choice. Would, would put the tape in the VCR just to listen to the song (laughs) nice all right we're gonna get going if you haven't uh picked up a copy of uh my biography ultra ocr man special force soldier to record setting off of course racer is on audible download that i've actually i was expecting to sell more audible versions but i'm actually selling more hard copy books and digital books than i am audible which is surprising because i figured uh, people like audio content but other than that the uh, all my other books are now on Amazon, or you can buy them hard copy on Amazon or uh, paperback. They're actually both they're both in paperback off my website or off Amazon, and then digital also on Amazon. And then finally, Blegmits we have light and extreme still, small and large. I think we're down to like six or seven pairs of small and large lights, and no reorder planned until mid 2021. So for those of you who are looking for Christmas presents for your Loved ones or OCR athletes, you know, pick those up sooner rather than later. So you make sure you get the the right size you want. Otherwise, you're going to have to order them from Australia and it's like $30 shipping. All right. Last, uh, any final shout outs before we let you go, Jared? Uh, nope. Think I'm good. All right. We're going to take off. Everyone have a good night and uh, keep training. Keep, keep staying, try to stay motivated and we'll be, uh, we'll be back on the race course in 2021. All right, catch you later.